Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Beneath the Broom Tree by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are among us. And so we welcome you to open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual heart that we would see Christ. Your word is living, it's active. May it become alive in each one of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles this morning, you'd like to meet me first of all in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to take a break from Malachi for a week, back in Malachi next week. But this morning, I just wanted to share a word I believe is for probably for all of us at some point in our spiritual walk. Most people will remember or know that when I was in Tasmania, I used to work in the forestry. And also, I tend to be somewhat a little bit competitive. So I always had to be the best crew, uh, and planting the most trees. Uh, Every year at planting season, we'd have to plant 1,200 hectares at about 1,200 stems a hectare, which means we sometimes planted about 1.5 million trees every planting season. We would then have to go back and we would have to fertilise all of those trees. Uh, Sometimes we did extra work on the coops, but most of our work would finish in spring. This particular year... Uh, one of the bosses uh, for our major contracting company, Paul, rings me up with a whole heap of work that he's got offered. Uh, Paul's a lovely guy. He has a disdain for human beings, but I managed to get along with him long enough. And he says, I've got some work. Are you interested? And I said, I'm always interested in more work. He said, I'll send it through to my stepfather. My stepfather rings me up and made the fatal mistake. He said, there is no possible way you can do this. You'd be pleased to know that God's beaten that pride out of me, but there was a small part of me that said, we'll see. (laughs) So I ring back and I say, listen, I can do the work. Uh, What we were offered, instead of planting 1.5 million trees this year, we would end up planting almost 4 million trees. By the time we finished our planting season, did all the infill and fertilised, it was closer to 4 million trees trees. I rang Paul and I said, I'm going to need two, two and a half times the size of the crew. And he says, I don't care, just get the work done. Towards, <laughs> towards the end of winter, I had been running flat out. And uh, who knows that uh, if you've got a bigger family with more children, you've just got more hassles. You're not better parents. You've just got greater hassles. And so with greater sizes in team comes greater hassles. We had a we had a challenging year. It was also one of the wettest years I'd ever worked outside and I had a motto that says, I just don't go home. And I reached a weekend where I had worked days from 4am to 9 o'clock every night and I had been wet and miserable and cold for far too long and I got the flu so bad I couldn't actually talk. Yeah. And my boys are like, where were we when that was going on? You'll be pleased to know I could still communicate with everybody on the team by facial expressions and hand gestures. They understood everything I meant. But the crux of it was I needed to be able to arrange deliveries with the truck driver and he finally rang my stepfather and said, you've got to do something about that lad. I can't even talk to him on the phone. And my stepfather rang me up and he says, you've got to have some time off. And 
all the way through the year. The truck driver had come to me one time and says, you know what, I just want to warn you, you can't run this fast and this hard for too long. You're going to hit a wall sooner or later. And I go, yeah, no, it's all right. I'm young, stupid. I I, I can conquer the world. Uh, The stupid part was right. I was getting a bit older. Uh, You know, we're all invincible. When we're in our 20s and 30s, we're all invincible. Uh, Turns out uh, by the time I had a couple of days off, I was ready to crawl into bed and forget about forestry. Uh, my uh, my uh, mum, who was also my boss at the time, rang and said, I've booked you 10 days on Bruny Island. Uh, just go and have a holiday. I, I said, no, cancel that. I'll be, I'll be back next week. But what I felt like was what maybe most of us feel like spiritually sometimes. We go through our spiritual life and we run hard and fast and and maybe we have expectations. You see, uh, I was out to prove a point. I was going to plant the most trees. Did, by the way. The story ends with I still planted all the trees. We still got the work done. But uh, it, it, it has a cost at the end of the day. And But maybe in our spiritual life it's the same, where we go through seasons where God feels like he's a million miles away. We feel like we've made a million mistakes. We feel like we just want to crawl under a broom tree and lay down and that be it. We feel like we've failed. And I just want to give you an encouraging word this morning. If you've never found yourself in those spots, there's a good chance you may throughout your Christian journey find yourself under a broom tree. But the good news is today I want to take you on a journey of a man that found himself under a broom tree. And today I want to expose what it was that got him there that may help us look at some of the warnings in our own lives. You see, for a long time that year, I had been going hard and fast and the warning lights were coming up on the dash quite a lot and I was ignoring them. People were trying to tell me. Uh, and the more I, I used to have, the Lord's beaten out of me slowly, I used to have this thing inside of me, the more you tell me I can't do something, the more I will make sure I do that. And so uh, maybe in our spiritual life, it's the same. And recently, it's become trendy. Why is this dangerous? Because many people, when it comes to their spiritual life, many people never get out from underneath the broom tree. And recently, there are prominent figures amongst Christianity that have put their hand up and said, uh, I'm deconstructing my faith which is probably secret code for I never really constructed anything in the first place. But if you scratch beneath the surface, you will find the same things. You will find that there is a dryness inside, the fires have burned low, their love for Christ has waxed and waned and they have drifted and they've found themselves underneath the broom tree and never got out. So what happens when we find ourselves there? Good question. I'm glad you asked. And, and if you've got your Bibles and you've met me at 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to talk about... Uh, I always pick on Elijah and call him a sook because we're going, to, we're going to see today that Elijah is a bit of a sook, but maybe he had a good reason. And, and before we beat Elijah up, most of us have probably made similar or worse mistakes than Elijah and found ourselves in the same spot. But we all know about Elijah and Mount Carmel, right? We all know that Elijah uh, confronts uh, not necessarily the prophets of Baal. That was what it was all about. But really, Elijah's confronting the people of God. 
He confronts them and says, you, you love God one minute and then you're off running with all the pagan gods the next. But what he says is stop dancing with God and make a decision. And of course, we know what happens at Mount Carmel. Uh, uh, the prophets of Baal prepare their sacrifice and they do all their dancing and jumping and hoo-haring and, and all this sort of stuff. And Elijah pokes fun at them and says, well, well maybe your God's relieving himself. And has forgotten you. And of course, we know what happens. He, he prepares the altar. He prepares the stones. He pulls water all over it. But God's fire comes down in a great demonstration. Then, after praying that it wouldn't rain for three years, he prays and it does rain. And that's what brings us to chapter 19. If you're Elijah... And I've just told you everything that's happened. You're going, you know what? Ministry's going pretty well. God's called me to this ministry and things are going pretty well. You would say things are going pretty well. If you were at Mount Carmel, you'd be saying things are going quite well. He puts, he puts something like 400 prophets to the sword. Confronts King Ahab head on. Uh, King Ahab calls him a troublemaker. Chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab, evil King Ahab, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then, we read, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he, Elijah, was, was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life. Hang on a second. What's going on here, Elijah? You've just been up Mount Carmel. You've confronted all of Israel. You've headbutted Ahab and his sinful condition. You've put 400 prophets to the, to the sword, but one woman makes one little idle threat and you're heading for the hills. How many of us know that sometimes it's just that little straw that breaks the camel's back? It's that one thing that we finally can't tolerate anymore. I don't know how much a camel can take. I don't know who put the straw on the camel's back or where we got that saying from. But the truth is, sometimes it's the smallest things that tip us over the edge. This isn't even a real threat. If Jezebel was bent on assassinating Elijah, why would you send somebody to go and let him know? Oh, by the way, Elijah, I'm coming to assassinate you. Surprise! <laughs> but Jezebel gets what she wants. Jezebel gets rid of Elijah and gets rid of his God out of her way. One idle threat, Elijah heads for the hills and there's a really important verse coming up that helps us understand exactly where Elijah's at. I wonder whether we've been there ourselves maybe at times. Verse 3, then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and he came to Bathsheba, 80 mile journey. And marathons in Bible times were measured in days, not in kilometres. So he heads down to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Now, when we read that, we think, so what? He left his servant there. He's, we're about to read that Elijah's planning to go in to the wilderness, but why would he leave his servant there? What, what is he even doing with the servant? Well, 
the reality is, the only way we might understand this is, uh, our language today, if we were to, to do this today, it'd sound like this, we're shutting down the business and we're letting our staff go. Because Elijah's assistant assists him in his ministry, and here's what Elijah's saying. You're staying here, ministry's over, I'm done, I've had enough, I'm out, I just want to go away by myself, doors are shut. Elijah goes, he never comes back for this servant. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. For I am no better than my father's. For I am no better than my father's. And we get a glimpse of what it is that has brought Elijah to sit underneath the broom tree. You see... Elijah had expectations that were worldly and fleshly and prideful expectations. I wonder whether we've ever drifted into this space ourselves. He, he, he confronts Israel on Mount Carmel. God, in a glorious display, comes down and consumes the sacrifice. And, and what is Elijah expecting? He's expecting mass revival amongst Israel. He's expecting that this one demonstration will turn the hearts of all the people of Israel, that King Ahab and all his evil, he'll repent and Jezebel will repent. None of that happens. None of his expectations are fulfilled and he finds himself underneath the broom trees, thinking to himself, I have failed. I failed. I'm no better than my father's. I'm going to go down to the grave and I've done all this for God. I've sacrificed everything for God. I've lived on my own. I've eaten locusts and wild honey, just like uh, John the Baptist. I've lived out in the wilderness. I've wore Armani camel suits and this is what I get for it. But how many of us have found ourselves underneath the broom tree because of either our distorted expectations or other people's distorted expectations? Turns out God doesn't always move according to our plans. Has anybody ever noticed that? Has anybody ever noticed that when you write out a plan for God, that's usually exactly how he never intended to do it? Elijah says, for I am no better than my father's. And and sometimes, just like Elijah, we can judge according to circumstances that are wrong. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you've either been under the, maybe you're under the broom tree today. Maybe you're sitting here going, you know what, I've been praying for family members for many years. They seem to be getting further away from God. They don't seem to be getting any closer to God. I'm a failure as a Christian. Maybe maybe you feel like you're a failure as a parent. Maybe you feel like you're a failure as a space. Maybe you feel like all the other expectations that people keep piling on top of you, when in actual fact you're doing exactly what God's called you to do. You're praying for those people. You see, Elijah can't see. He's a glass half empty kind of guy. 
He can't see all the good that God has done. He can't see that doing what God has called him to do is what he's been doing. God called him to confront Ahab. God called him to call out the Israelites and all of their sin. God called him to call them to repentance. He has done what God has asked him. Elijah's problem is God hasn't done what Elijah told him to do. For many of us, there are different circumstances that bring us underneath the broom tree. But the question comes, whenever we find ourselves in these periods, how do we, how can we get out? What do we learn from Elijah? Because this is not the end of Elijah's story. God has much more in store for Elijah. And I, I actually firmly believe that sometimes the most profound and deepest work God does in our lives is when we are lying underneath the broom tree. And I don't know if you ever found yourself in this spot, but I've also found, uh, maybe you have as well, that everybody's got advice for you. Ever noticed that? You've got those friends or those family members that have a great plan for your life. Elijah says, uh, I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. And, and behold, an angel of the Lord, we will read in a moment, the angel of the Lord touches him a second time. Whenever the Old Testament mentions the angel of the Lord, it is more than just an angel. Let me press the pause button. I love how this is. You know, often when we think about angels, we think of nine foot tall people standing there with wings and all of that. Do you know that is just not biblical? The only angels that have wings are the seraphim that are right before the throne. They have six wings, two that cover their eyes, two that cover their feet and two that hold them there. Uh, All of the encounters that we find in scripture from angels, not the angel, a angel, we find that they look just like everybody else. Sometimes people were unaware that they had interacted with angels. We know that angels come with a message for somebody. We know that they can interact with the material world and we know that they can appear in people's dreams. So whenever I see myself in a dream, I'm thinking, that must be an angel. You know what? When you're laying underneath a broom tree, it's quite often that everybody's got some advice for you about what you might need. But this morning, I want to touch on what you really deeply need. You need a touch from God touch from God can make all the difference. Have a look, an angel touched him and things begin to turn around for Elijah. We just need a touch from God. You know, God can touch us and give us peace and calm on the inside like nobody else can. When all of your circumstances are raging, when all that around you tells you you've failed and you've missed it and God would never use you and and God's never going to work in your life, whenever you come to that point, know that all you need is a touch from God. But I also love what happens next. And we miss this sometimes. Uh, Isn't it interesting that when the angel comes to Elijah, we're all thinking, uh, maybe God's got a message for Elijah. Get up, you sook. Keep moving. Maybe we're thinking that's what God's going to come with some profoundly deep uh, or some big manifestation. But no, he comes to him and the first thing he says is, arise and eat. Ah, you had me at eat. (laughs) 
But this morning, can I just, before we go any further, can I just touch on something that's highlighted here? The physical and the spiritual are very closely related. And sometimes, sometimes your greatest need is a sleep in tomorrow morning. That's not permission for the ladies in the office for Tuesday. No sleep. You know, you know, sometimes you just need to pick the phone up and have a mental health day and say, I'm out. Turn the phone off. Sometimes what you need is a good meal, a long walk on the beach. Don't go playing golf. It's the one way to ruin and increase your frustration. <laughs> Maybe you need a morning out on the lake fishing. But isn't it interesting how it's when we reach breaking point? Isn't it interesting that when we find ourselves under the broom tree, then we go, you know what? I could do with a long walk on the beach. I could do with a morning out fishing. We're trying to, always trying to cure without looking at the prevention. Uh, One thing I learned from my time in the forestry was, you know what? I don't have a problem vacationing well. Here in Australia, and trust me, as I look across the congregation, you guys vacation well. Trust me. Every Sunday, someone comes up and says, I'm not here for the next three weeks. I'm going, we're packing the caravan, we're off on the plane, we're going to see Rillo's, going away for the weekend. Oh, we won't be here next week. Oh, yeah, we'll be here. You're right. Ladies are going away for another retreat. Oh, you know how it is. You guys vacation well. You know what? Here in Australia, we do not vocation well. You see, the problem is, uh, I remember Eugene Peterson, who is the translator of the Message Bible, If you read the Message Bible, that's okay. Please be aware of any translation that's translated by just one person. But Eugene Peterson was a fantastic pastor, had a heart to pastor. And he says, you know, sometimes there were seasons in my life where I had a weariness in my bones that a vacation just couldn't help. And the problem is we go too hard and fast. The reality is you should live life with long walks on the beach. I'm I'm developing a theology of fishing for the board members that are here today. Um, I've put it on the top of the agenda. uh, but, But the reality is we find ourselves at breaking point where the rubber band has snapped, whereas if we took the pressure off on a constant basis... If we learnt what it was, and and I did a series on this earlier in the year, if we learnt what it was to live replenished, to live full, God has designed for us, we vacation well, we don't vocation well. We have it around backwards here in the Western world. You see, uh, Jesus says that uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. Why? Because God knew we would get busy, busy, busy and forget about everything else. But we have it backwards. You see, biblical truth, and the Jews picked up on it, we rest from work. That's our theology. We work, 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 then we get to the weekend and we rest. And for half of you guys, you go camping, you go to New Zealand, everywhere, so God bless you as you go on your travels. It's all right, we'll stay here. But, but the biblical model is we work from rest. That's why the Sabbath was the first day of the week. God says, before you do anything, here's what God's saying to us, before you do anything, just take some time out. Breathe, focus on me, give all your attention, now go to work. We have it around the wrong way. 
And so step number one from coming out from under the, the beneath the broom tree, I want to encourage everybody to build physical and spiritual margins in your life. Room in your life for that long walk on the beach. Room in your life for that breakfast at the cafe with nobody else there. You know, room in your life for coffee with somebody. Whatever it looks like, make margins in your life so that you don't get to the point where you find yourself under the broom tree completely snapped. But build spiritual margins in your life as well. Uh, Jesus teaches us this. Jesus was the busiest man on the planet, but he walked everywhere. Jesus came to save the world and he didn't run anywhere. He didn't have a car. If he did, he would have, he would have driven a Toyota. <laughs> or a Ford, brother. <laughs> Judas would have been in the Captiva. But... <laughs> But he was the bit, but we still read about Jesus that he went to a desolate place to pray. Hey, I've had conversations with ministers that have put their hands up and great guys called of God that have put their hands up and said, I'm out. And when you scratch beneath the surface, you find the same thing every time. The fires have burnt out because they've got busy, 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 busy. The margins, the spiritual margins have gone out of their life and they I'm out. And so I would encourage everybody to build physical margins in your life. Arise and eat, and he looked, and, and behold, there was at his head a cake, uh, had a cake bread on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and he drank, and, and he lay down again. Sounds like Tasmanian. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat. Why? Because the journey is too great for you. The next journey is too great for you. Verse 8, And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went into the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. Interestingly enough, it's a 10-day journey from Bathsheba to Horeb. Takes about a quarter of that time, but he took 40 days and 40 nights to arrive at the Mount of God. I love what comes next. Uh, most of us know the verses, but I love how God works here. It's interesting. There, there he came to a cave. Interestingly, in the Hebrew, it's the cave. He finds himself on the mountain of God in the cave. There's, there's strong evidence this just may be the same cleft that God pushed Moses in as his glory passed by. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? How many people know that when God's asking you a question, he's not looking for information? What are you doing here, Elijah? At what point in time did God call Elijah to take any of these journeys? None. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God. Now he's going to speak about his inner frustrations. His inner frustrations look like, I have served you faithfully. I have loved you. Even though everybody else is running away from you and they're running after the pagan gods, I have loved you. Uh, the people have run away from you and forsaken you. They've killed the prophets. They've torn down your altars. And now they want to kill me. Here's what God says. God says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by 
and a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a low whisper. What's God saying to Elijah? Sometimes God's not always in the spectacular. We're often when we find ourselves in these moments, we think we just need we just need a massive miracle from God. God just needs to do this big, uh, some big demonstration, some big manifestation. What God is teaching is what you actually need is just my presence. Elijah has an encounter with God on the mountain like never before. He's used to the spectacular and God shows him that here I am, removed of all the spectacular, here I am in the gentle whisper. I love the words of A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer says that modern Christians have lost the art of loving God in silent prayer. seeking God in silence. It's great to worship God. It's great to sing and to yell and to praise. And sometimes we just need his presence and to sit in his presence. Number one, build some margins in your life. Number two, do whatever you have to do and go wherever you have to go to get in the presence of God. Elijah had to travel 40 days. And 40 nights, he comes to the mountain of God. He's a long way from home. Something like a 200-mile journey from Beersheba to get to where he is now. Uh, The journey was obviously too great for him, but he finds himself in a place and God meets him there. Here's the last one before we come to a close this morning. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. Elijah knows he's in the presence of God. And he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says the same thing again. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And that's inaccurate. It's not even accurate. We know God's about to tell him, hang on a second, I've still got 7,000 people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. It's inaccurate. You're having a bit of a sook now, Elijah. But God goes on and here's what God says. I love what God says. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Okay, go back where you've come from. You've, You've come here now, you've had an encounter with me and here's what God says. Pick up your bootstrap, sunshine, and get get on with it. Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. What's God saying? If Jehu is going to be king over Israel, Ahab and Jezebel aren't hanging around for too long. Here's what God's giving to Elijah right now. Assurance. Elijah, get up. And get on with it. You're not done yet. Do you know sometimes the most loving words that anybody 
might say to us, and maybe the most loving words that God has for people in this room today, is get up and get on with it. You ever notice that if you wallow in the mud, all you end up is dirty? The good news this morning is God is not done with you. And you might have a million reasons why you think God is done with you. Well, you don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know my history. You don't know what's happened to me recently. No, I don't, but I do know this. If you are breathing oxygen, God is not done with you yet. Yes, Elijah needed an encounter with God. Yes, he needed to build some margins in his life. But yes, you need to pick up your cloak and get on with it, Elijah. I've got work for you to do. He never goes back to the servant. He will anoint Hazael and Jehu, and he now anoints Elisha to be the prophet in his place. (coughs) What's God saying in Elisha? Not only are you not done, I'm not done. I'm not done with Israel. There's another prophet after you. You're not done yet. If I think back to that year in the forestry, it would have been really easy. And how many times did I nearly pick the phone up? It would have been real easy. The interesting interesting part of forestry was... I came to the point where I said I was out. Um, I had a very interesting encounter with my stepfather on on one of the coops, and I said I was out. And all of the guys that were working for me came to me and said, are you coming on Monday? And I said, I don't know. And they said, can you let us know Because if you're not here on Monday, we're not coming. And that was a helpful conversation for one reason. I realised in a moment, you know what? This isn't about me. This isn't about me. This isn't about maybe the year I've had. This isn't maybe about how hard things have been. You know what, Elijah? This isn't about you. This is about the almighty God. This is about the work he still has for you to do. I'm going to ask Karen if she can come and play. We're going to finish with a song this morning. And there may be, maybe there's people in this room that just need a touch from God. But I remember John chapter 21. I love John chapter 21. And what I love is when Jesus is talking to Peter, how many of us are reading John 21 going, when's Jesus going to bring up that whole denial thing? And Jesus has appeared to Peter a couple of episodes before this. Jesus has breakfast with Peter on the beach. Now Jesus wants to eyeball Peter and have a conversation. Peter thinks he's passed it. Peter thinks he's failed. He denied Jesus when he said he wouldn't deny Jesus. He, he denied Jesus. And, and what I love about Jesus is he never mentions the denial. He doesn't make one mention of Peter's past. All Jesus talks about to Peter is the right now and his future. Never mentions the denial. It's like an elephant in the room. 
Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him a really important question. Do you love me? Because Jesus knows, Peter, if you love me, that's all that really matters here. Do you love me, Peter? Peter's offended. But that's actually not what Jesus says to begin with. Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? It's the only time Jesus calls him Simon. Every other time it's Peter. Why? Because now the old is gone. Simon, you're Peter. And I love what Jesus says to him. Do you love me, Peter? Well, of course I love you, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. In other words, get on with it. Do you love me, Peter? You know that I love you, Lord. Then ten. Friends, as we as we sit here today, there could be a thousand reasons that finds any one of us underneath a broom tree at any point in our lives. And yes, we need to build margins in our lives. And yes, we we absolutely need an encounter in the presence of God. And yes, we need to get on with it. But maybe maybe the fires have burnt low, and maybe maybe you just need a touch from Jesus. After John chapter 21, frightened, failed Peter will be the pillar of the first church. Peter will be crucified upside down. Before he is crucified, church historians tell us that he and his wife are in prison. And they are leading his wife out to execute her. And everybody hears Peter clinging onto the bars of the cell, yelling through the prison cell, remember the joy of the Lord. Wow. Wow. One encounter with Christ can transform your future what happened for Peter, it's what happened for the disciples. Many of us in this room would say, I've had many encounters with Christ. And and sometimes when we find ourselves underneath a broom tree, we just need a touch from Jesus. I want to encourage you. We're going to finish with a song this morning. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. But I've learned something about God. If God can get Elijah out in the middle of the wilderness underneath a broom tree, he could possibly reach you in your seat today. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, reach out to him this morning and say, I just need you to blow on the coals of my heart. I just need you to touch me on the one word from Jesus, one touch from him. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we sing, we all collectively reach out to you. Lord, sometimes we just 
literally make a mess of things. Sometimes we drift away. We don't know how we got so far away. Sometimes we just feel dry. You are the answer for everything that we need. Jesus, you are the one that satisfies. Only you are the one that can satisfy. I pray for every one of us that would find ourselves under the broom tree that in that place we would encounter you, Lord. We would hear you in the still, small whisper. I pray today that as we finish this song, Lord, that you would breathe upon our hearts. In the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.